I'm George Comedy, and this is First Watch. Cybersecurity is having a moment. It's becoming a national security priority, thanks in no small part to the tidal wave of cyber attacks on companies large and small, and on critical infrastructure. And yet, a recent study found that despite being listed as a top business priority for several years running, cybersecurity continues to suffer from underinvestment. Why? Well, I wondered the same thing, so I got in touch with one of the study's authors, Professor Chris Maurer of the University of Virginia's McIntyre School of Commerce, to find out more. Professor Chris Maurer, thank you for joining us. Thanks, George. Uh, it's excellent to be here. Yeah, so um, before we get into the findings of your survey and uh, your research in cybersecurity, which we're very interested in, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the methodology. So we can start with um, the questions that you asked around five cybersecurity best practices. Um, could you first tell us about what those best practices are and then uh, a little bit about how you conducted the study? Sure. So um, I'll actually start by talking how we conducted the study mm -hmm. because this fits into a broader picture of a much larger study uh, that is done with uh, CIOs and IT leaders across the nation. Um, we're affiliated with the organization SIM, which stands for the Society for Information Management. And um, every year we send a very comprehensive survey to roughly 3,000 or so IT professionals, um, usually getting a response rate of about 25% or so. And the cybersecurity questions I'd, I'd like to discuss today um, are just a small snippet of, of the bigger picture of this entire study. So more specifically to cybersecurity, uh, which we started to uh, ask respondents more pointed questions about five or six years ago. And we are focused on understanding five key best practices that uh, organizations employ within uh, the, their cybersecurity operations and their overall organization business practices. So the first one is whether the organization has a formal uh, chief information security officer or an equivalent position. And we used to ask that question simply as a binary, do you have this position or not? And in the last two years, we actually started uh, teasing that out in more detail by asking whether there's a formal position and then a second option of whether there's an IT person who has responsibility of cybersecurity, but also other responsibilities, mm. and then know that we do not have anyone with um, cybersecurity responsibilities. Right. We also ask organizations um, if they require cybersecurity training and awareness um, for all of their employees. We um, give them a prompt of four key business processes and ask whether cybersecurity is integrated as part of those business processes. And those processes are uh, software development, change management, IT procurement, and overall business strategy. Uh, the fourth area that we um, ask them about is uh, whether they use cybersecurity metrics as part of their key performance indicators across the organization. Okay. And the final one is whether they have uh, cyber insurance coverage. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, th I think what stood out to me when I was reading about the study is that this data, and you said this is a recurring survey, is is not a snapshot in time, right? You have um, the data being tracked over several years and more to the point, even 
responses from the same organization over several years, right? So what is something that stands out to you when you look at those trends? So we we have tracked these these five key areas for at least five years now. And there is definitely forward momentum. So we have um, seen an increase in each of these areas um, over the course of the five years. But the most surprising thing is the the uh, the lack of significant progress over that time period. Um, mm. So while we have seen you know incremental increases in one or two of these areas um, across the board, there has been uh, not a, a great deal of improvement um, or adoption of these areas um, over time. So for example, when it comes to um, cybersecurity leadership and having a CISO in place, uh, right now, we see just over about 50% of our respondents have a dedicated position that their sole responsibility is, is security. Um, that compares to about 45% three, three or four years ago. So oh, wow. there has not been a big shift in more companies hiring these dedicated positions. In some other areas, we have seen some more noticeable uh, changes uh, in, in the area such as uh, cyber insurance. We've seen um, about from less than 50% or fewer than 50% of respondents having cyber insurance coverage approximately five years ago to around 80% today. So some of these areas we've seen greater uh, improvement over time and some have seen very little improvement over the last few years. Right. I mean, at at the risk of sounding obvious right it's it sounds like the greatest gains have been where it's easy right it's easy to buy insurance quote unquote relatively speaking um versus reorganizing cybersecurity maybe maybe out of organizational it and you know creating a dedicated uh leader uh reporting structure etc right and i i guess i'm curious as to your take on the cyber insurance because while that growth makes total sense given what we read about the headlines and the just tidal wave of ransomware at the same time one that strikes me as a band-aid and two we have started to see insurers either get hit themselves or um uh, i believe it was axa in france france being the second most ransomware country uh on the planet refusing to pay out ransoms um, after a certain threshold, right? So that may have been like a quick fix solution, but I, I feel like we're going to start hitting the limits of what cyber insurance can really accomplish for an organization. Just curious about your thoughts there. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, I, I I totally agree that cyber insurance coverage is one of the easier types of um, solutions. Obviously, there's an underwriting process that might require some audits and some proof that um, the organization is taking some basic measures to protect themselves. Uh, but it's insurance is something that CEOs understand. Insurance, they, they have various types of insurance across their business. So it's a little bit of an easier sell to say, we're going to, to invest in some insurance premiums to protect ourselves in this way because it's a little bit more quantifiable than some other areas of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's easier to, to get the funding and the support to, to get the insurance. And 
I do uh, expect, or I'm interested to see where this trend goes in the future for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, I understand insurance companies are adding additional riders or refusing to cover certain types of uh, loss. And so I think as ransomware continues to increase in frequency, as data breaches continue to you know, uh, happen unabated, uh, I think there, there's going to be a pullback on what is insurable in this space um, and or how expensive the premiums are going to be. And so uh, be curious to see in another five years whether there's a leveling off of insurance adoption or potentially even companies saying having insurance in this area might not be worth it anymore um, and, and not renewing their uh, policies. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting um, thing to watch. Yeah, it strikes me that insurance is probably, and we're going to get to this in a moment, but it strikes me that insurance is maybe the easiest because it is demanded by stakeholders, the board, it's a check the box, I need this. Um, and that is, and you can quantify it, as you said, it's like, I need this coverage for this amount, but much harder to build in the value of cybersecurity into like longer strategic business plans. Like what is, what is the quantifiable value of your IP or your business communications, you know? Um, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that in a moment. So another part of the study, which I thought was interesting is you, uh, tried to correlate, right. Whether organizational prioritization for cybersecurity had any effect on the adoption of those five cybersecurity practices that you talked about earlier. Um, can you talk about a little bit what you found in that correlation? Yes. So uh, one of the hallmarks of the, the broader IT trend study is the classification of, of IT issues that are important to an organization. And so we provide respondents with a list of 40 or so topic areas and ask them to respond, which are the most important to the organization and which of those keep you personally up, um, up at night? They're, they're very worrisome to you. And the reason that we started to dig deeper into cybersecurity is that um, unsurprisingly, cybersecurity has been the number one or two issue over the last seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So with that data, we started to look to see whether there were any differences between the companies that said cybersecurity is a top organizational priority and those that are not. And we did find some, some differences there where um, not across the board, not in every situation, but companies that were placing a prioritization or, or selecting cybersecurity as one of their top priorities tend tended to have more um, of those cybersecurity measures than those that did not. And there were obviously exceptions to that rule, uh, but across the board, that was a general trend. But then we got thinking um, along the lines of, well, implementing these cybersecurity practices can take time. And it's not something um, that you can just snap your fingers and, and do it overnight. And so we started to look at it more longitudinally, and we actually broke down matched pairs of, um, or not matched pairs, but the the same organization over a span of at least two years. Mm -hmm. We said, at any point in that time period, did they change their priorities? Did they go from not prioritizing cybersecurity to prioritizing cybersecurity? Um, Or did they in one year say cybersecurity was a top concern, and then in the following year, it was no longer a top concern? 
And that's where we started to see some really interesting um, differences. And those organizations that went from not prioritizing to uh, cybersecurity to prioritizing it in the second year saw the biggest improvements. So they were uh, treating it as an organizational issue, a top priority, and they were making progress. Those that always treated it as a priority um, overall were doing the best. They had the most um, protection according to those five areas. And unsurprisingly, those that never treated it as a priority were at the bottom. Um, but the changes in prioritization seem to indicate that that can be a catalyst for organizations to actually make progress in this area. They're starting to get through to the business leaders of the importance of cybersecurity and the, the actual improvement in the protection of the organization was observed. Back with Chris Maurer in a moment. If you like this episode of First Watch and want to hear others, hit subscribe. You can catch up on past episodes, like our interview with Mohsen Mosley on his study into stopping the spread of misinformation on social media. And you'll get new ones straight to your feed. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Chris Maurer. So I, I want to dig in there a little bit, and I, I caution that we may be venturing into the hypothetical here. So. I think one of the biggest challenges that's probably articulated in the data is also uh, a known problem in business, which is that cybersecurity doesn't have as clear a black and white ROI. Um, for example, you know, a one million dollar investment in cybersecurity controls or systems you can't like directly attribute that to increased revenue, or you know, how do you quote unquote get that money back? Um, so I'm curious because you work in the McIntyre School of Commerce, which is a business school, you know, what are your thoughts on that ROI? And I also want to even open the door to a challenge here. Is ROI the right way to think about cybersecurity? So I'll start with your last question there is ROI best way to think about security? In my opinion, no, it's not. Um, but at the end of the day, to get action on the business side of things, you often have to frame things in that manner. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, uh, you know, a risk-based approach to cybersecurity is, is a more appropriate way of determining where to allocate investments and what to prioritize across your cybersecurity program. Um, but many risk-based approaches don't directly translate into dollars. And when dealing with CFOs and CEOs, a lot of times we have to justify what this, what this investment will get, get mm -hmm. us. And so I think that's where the ROI typically comes into play. Um, from my perspective, being situated in a business school, um, we don't have a major in cybersecurity. So we're not attempting to educate tomorrow's cybersecurity engineers. For the most part, we're educating tomorrow's business leaders, um, mm -hmm. hopeful business leaders. And so my role that I see when I, when I work with my students and teach them about cybersecurity is to be tackling the problem from the business perspective so that when a, a CISO comes into the boardroom and asks for an investment, that the other side understands where they're coming from and understands that it's not as simple as a true ROI um, figure, that it's you know based on many different things centered around risk and 
brand image and reputation and goodwill. And there's, there's a lot of other factors that come into play beyond um, you know, earning more revenue because we invest in cybersecurity. So our, our educational philosophy is really to get more people on the business side to understand what is going on, what are the risks involved in cybersecurity. And I obviously work with a lot of undergraduate students, some, some graduate students that may have some work experience. It's often eye-opening to them um, mm-hmm. to, to see the potential impacts um, of cybersecurity and um, that's that's my hope in working with our McIntyre students um, to really get them to appreciate this, to look beyond just the dollars and cents um, and the costs associated with cybersecurity prevention to also factor in the, the risk associated with failing to act. Yeah, let me throw out uh, one hypothetical and one real. So in your example, um, you know, I have some familiarity with the, the McIntyre School. You have students working on projects and cohorts. Um, I've talked with a lot of undergraduates there. You know, a lot of them uh, are interested in kind of the app economy or, you know, developing the, you know, and I want to say to them that, like, you know, if you're not making uh, brake rotors, you know, you're not manufacturing a physical object your entire business is software. So what is the value of that IP, right? And and I, we can extend that even further because arguably even car manufacturing is being hurt by a semiconductor shortage, right? So it's all software, yes. you know? And so now let's, a real world example is, you know, this past summer uh, when attackers breached EA games and they exfiltrated 780 gigabytes worth of source code and IP, to some of their top properties, FIFA 21, but even the uh, Frostbite engine, which is used in multiple games, and then they put it up for $28 million ransom, right? Pay us $28 million or we leak it. So on one level, you could say, okay, I guess that IP is more or less worth in the market $28 million, but truly like the long life value of that IP has to be in the billions. I mean, EA is a $5.5 billion company, right? So I just want to like, I think, situate our thinking around risk and uh, ascribing value to to the intellectual property that's running through all of your systems, you know, whether it's a JIRA ticket here, an email there, you know, that's it's all connected to, to data that's that's worth a tremendous amount of money. So I'm, I'm just trying to get back on that ROI document. And I think I've lost the thread of my question, but interested to get your reflection there. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, especially with our undergraduate students uh, being digital natives, they grew up with you know iPads in the classroom and, and everything is technology, technologically driven. A lot of their business ideas, entrepreneurial um, perspectives are to put a lot of faith in the technology. Um, mm-hmm. And many of the McIntyre students I teach actually don't necessarily know a lot of the backend technology. They, they know about it from being a user. And so Mm -hmm. so when they start to understand the complexities of how these uh, systems are are built um, from, you know, when you factor in the hardware, the software, the data, um, everything else, it's it's very eye-opening to them to see everything that happens behind the scenes with these um, digital products that they interact with every day. And so 
once they start to see those layers and the interdependencies between those systems, I think it's it's very important for them to understand all of the potential entry points or all of the potential you know, vulnerabilities that are introduced that then threaten the value of those products as, as, you, um, as you mentioned. And so again, it comes back to not just a pure ROI. I mean, I, I typically look at cybersecurity investment not as a way of getting money back, but as a mm-hmm. way of preventing future loss of more money, right? So if we invest in security now, it may prevent us from having to pay this amount in restitution or ransom or other things in the future. Um, and so once you start to estimate the value of the digital products, the potential you know, reputational damage, and many other kind of intangible costs associated with data breaches, it very quickly adds up. Um, And I think it's important for our students, for tomorrow's business leaders to fully appreciate the scale of those things in advance, rather than have to look at the bank statements on the back end of a breach and realize how expensive it was. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's, that's critical distinction. And it's so hard because that kind of, um, planning is very counterintuitive to sort of human evolutionary psychology, right? We're very, I mean, that's how apps and, you know, the gamification of our psychology work is like immediate benefit. So it's very hard to understand future losses, but I wonder, uh, and curious on your take here, if, you know, the recent teeth, um, that the sec is putting into enforcement actions might also create, uh, a risk incentive, or I guess the phrasing is it will create a risk structure that will help security teams justify um, the costs that they need and the budget they need, because, you know, there, there are serious fines and penalties and censures now being handed out for breaches. I think that, um, I think that that's an important incentive to get the conversation started. Uh, the, the challenge is in the implementation and what to do about it. Uh, so in my professional background, before I uh, entered academia and became a professor, I was running cybersecurity at, at my organization, went through, um, I actually you know, built my career around Sarbanes-Oxley compliance. And so that was response to a government um, you know, mandate in response to Enron and, and big accounting fraud scandals. And there were a lot of positives that came out of that. And there were also some challenges with that rollout. Um, and so when, when we have the potential for fines and regulation and oversight in this, it absolutely can be a wake-up call because it gets uh, admin, uh, executives' attention. Uh, it's at that point very important, I believe, for cybersecurity leaders to, to use that power effectively um, and not treat this as a, a checklist type approach where we just have to do this, 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 and this so that we can avoid a fine, but that we use this as a motivation to get the, the real difficult conversation started of where are the primary risks in our organization and how can we best apply you know, our limited IT and cybersecurity budgets to plugging those risks while at the same time, avoiding the risk of you know, penalties from government or regulatory agencies. And so I think we need to make sure that we go beyond simply checklist type approaches to preparing organizations uh, for cybersecurity. 
And in some cases, these uh, regulations and potentials of fines and um, other penalties can be the jumpstart that we need to get those conversations started with the business folks. Understood. Okay. I'm curious as to your take on whether the impact of the pandemic can either be under or overstated, right? Because we saw, you know, a transformative elevation of the role of IT. We see uh, CIOs being elevated to board level discussions where they weren't before. And um, we're seeing boards of directors going out and trying to recruit directors who have more of a cybersecurity background. Because if you just have a a fiduciary background, they don't even know how to make the right, they don't even know how to ask the right questions, right? So just curious on your take as to what you think the pandemic might do um, to that elevation of IT into business processes, right? So like Goldman Sachs, for example, that business does not run in a work from home model without IT and therefore without dot, dot, dot cybersecurity, right? So just curious as to what you might be seeing there in, in trends. So we've actually got uh, some pretty interesting data that has not been fully analyzed yet uh, specific to this topic. Um, and so I don't wanna read too much into some of the data that we have collected, but as part of our, our broader survey, we actually ask how CIOs spend their time and how frequently they interact with CEOs, board members, mm. et cetera. And uh, to, to your last point, we did see an uptick um, over the last two years that the CIOs were interacting with uh, board members, with CEOs more frequently last year than they had in previous years. Um, and so there's some of that anecdotal evidence that IT has, has absolutely been elevated in its prominence across the organization. From the most recent data that we've collected uh, from 2021 that is not fully published just yet, we actually saw a return to pre-pandemic levels. Hmm. Um, and so again, I, after one year, you don't want to read too much into a long-term trend, but we did see some indications that they might not uh, might already be forced out of the boardroom and not, you know, we got through this crisis. IT was uh, absolutely necessary and critical to support remote uh, work operations. And now it's been more uh, routinized. So this could be a sampling bias. You know, each mm -hmm. year, different organizations will respond. Um, so I don't want to read too much into that just yet. But I think the fact of the matter remains that, um, this has the, the pandemic has has proven many things, um, and I've seen this in my own personal work as well. That the the role of IT is certainly uh, absolutely paramount to the ongoing business processes across an organization. I think a lot of companies have found new ways of doing things without a productivity hit. Right, I think a lot of organizations were a bit skeptical of using Zoom so much for meetings and, and things for that is highly collaborative work, yet they still saw strong performance with virtual teams um, in, through collaborative work. And so we're going to see certain things continue to stay after the pandemic, um, but I think there's also going to be some areas that, that are returning to normal. Um, and so I am hopeful that when it comes to cybersecurity in, in particular, 
that organizations don't simply look back on their time with COVID and said, we did it. We, we survived. We didn't, we were not run out of business. We did not suffer a major breach because of remote work. So we must be doing all the right things. Um, mm-hmm. I really hope that there's not a sense of complacency that sits in um, after kind of COVID is, is long gone. Uh, but I am afraid that there might be some complacency both with security and also with just continuity planning in general, um, because the next pandemic might not look anything like this pandemic. Um, and so there might be different challenges uh, that come about through that. And I really do hope that organizations across the board continue to reflect honestly on this experience and use it as a learning um, opportunity to further improve and not just get complacent. Yeah, I, I would think that in a lot of the IT heavy jobs, which is um, also the knowledge work sector of the economy, mm-hmm. that this challenge has been a transformative opportunity to understand that the way that knowledge moves and generates value and IP and products eventually is through systems that are inherently vulnerable, right? So I think it's this recognition that, you know, it's one thing, yes, to be in a whiteboard room and and work on something. But when you transmit that information to your dev team, when like all of that is through these electronic pipes and tunnels and um, the value therein, in terms of securing that, I just, Mm -hmm. it would, it would be a missed opportunity. Yes. Um, and, so and I, what, do, what do you, uh, before we close out here, what are you looking to study next? Is it the next iteration of this data? Is there another interest that's been peaked as a result of this study? So I, I think what, what I actually am, am looking at uh, and the topic we just closed on is really to try to tease out what, what the response to COVID um, is when it comes to, to security. And so we have some data that we've been collecting over the last two years um, that has the, the same cybersecurity type data that, that we've already discussed earlier, but then other uh, COVID and, and pandemic, or not even pandemic, but continuity planning topics um, linking to both financial performance and business process performance through the pandemic and emerging from the pandemic and trying to see whether uh, Organizations that might have had a stronger security stance going into this have kind of faced fewer pains through the pandemic and are likely to experience fewer pains in the future. Um, and and what, what those trends might be that we if we can take a snapshot of pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and then hopefully within the next year post-pandemic, how might security posture have predicted firm performance in different ways through those time periods. Oh, wow. Um, that, that's one thing that I really am looking forward to, to digging into the data on in the next year. Yeah, that's very intriguing. I have seen a couple of analyst firms, um, you know, they ask a certain set of questions and then they also ask some tangible productivity or ROI measures, and then they can correlate like the quote unquote success group has done XYZ versus the mm-hmm. ones that have adopted something, but maybe not achieved certain levels of success. That that sounds very fascinating. Um, so we'll close out there. I want to thank you very much for your time. I understand um, you're very busy, so I appreciate you taking the time to answer these questions. 
Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to, to join you. Um, and absolutely, it was a blast. That's it for First Watch today. And a big thank you to our special guest, Professor Chris Maurer of the University of Virginia's McIntyre School of Commerce. First Watch is released every other Tuesday and is a production of Safeguard Cyber. It's produced by Chloe LeClaire with help from Phil Totora. Edited by David Traunstein with original music by Matthias Cefaletti. Subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.